0: This morning we're going to look at the book of Matthew, chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If you didn't bring one, that's fine. There should be one right in front of you. Or download an app that the Bible's on. That is a great way to read the Bible throughout the week. So often you're sitting at work and you got some free time. Maybe you got a 15-minute break or whatever. You don't have a Bible, but you got the app. You can open it up. Uh, download the Bible on. Matthew 20, verse 29 is where we'll start this morning. sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. As we navigate life, there are not many things in this world more irritating than being interrupted. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple examples of when I get irritated being interrupted. And I run the risk of having these examples just show you how terrible of a person that I am. So if this resonates with you, I hope it does, and if not, refer me to a counselor. But here here's some of the things that I struggle with in terms of being interrupted. I've got this thing where, where if I'm at the sink and I'm doing dishes, which is pretty rare, but if I'm at the sink and I'm doing dishes, <laughs> And my wife and one of the kids comes, and they kind of bump me into the side and turn the faucet on cold and go to like fill up a cup. And I get this feeling inside of me, like this angry feeling that it's like, I'm in the middle of chewing the dishes. What are you doing, right? Maybe that one's just me. I get this feeling inside of me sometimes when I'm on the freeway, and I feel like it's so slow, and I look over to the right, and I see a lane is wide open. And I move over to the right, and I hit the gas, and as I do that, someone pulls into my lane and slows down. <laughs> okay, you get that feeling. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there, that's a distinct feeling. There's this feeling that comes when you're looking forward to something down the road. You're trying to get the dishes done. You're trying to get down the road. Really. You're trying to move forward in life, and you get interrupted. Someone steps right in front of you and tries to stop you and there's just this, like, grinding halt's irritation, like, Urgh! I'm in the middle of something. But it's like your sight is already down the road, past the traffic, you're going 70 miles an hour in your brain, and all of a sudden someone just Urgh! punches you in the guy. That's a unique type of irritation. When I read Matthew 20, I, I feel that for the crowds. As they're about to embark on a journey that they're very excited about, and they get blindsided by these men who are calling out and saying, hey, hey, before you go, we've got a need we want you to address. If you know the geography of ancient Israel, maybe you don't know, You probably don't know the geography of ancient Israel, let me tell you. That's my job. Ancient Israel, where they were in Jericho, was kind of like going up the Altamont Pass. That's kind of what they were doing. Jericho, picture Jericho as Tracy. Anybody from Tracy here today? <laughs> yeah, Tracy, right? Uh, they're in Tracy. And Jerusalem is at the top of the Altamont. If you've ever been to Israel, you're going to think, wow, this looks a lot like coming down the Altamont when you're going from Jerusalem down into Jericho. And that's what it looked like. And the disciples and the crowds were gathering at the bottom of the hill because they were about to ascend the hill into Jerusalem and do something unbelievable. We see in Matthew and Mark and Luke that when Jesus gets to the top of the hill, it all starts to move forward with Jesus. They get to the top of the hill, and Jesus says, "Go get a colt and put me on it and parade me in the town." And they got these palm branches. They're saying, "Hosanna in the highest!" Right? Like palm Sunday is at the top of that hill, the top of the Altar. And so these crowds are gathering at the base camp down at like Sonic drive and Tracy there, and they're getting ready to go march up that hill and crown Jesus king it's about to be an unbelievable week and the excitement is starting to build as matthew says the disciples were there but large crowds were coming to to bring jesus up to the holy city put him on his throne and his reign in their mind is about to begin they're getting fired drinking their cherry lime beans it's not true not true getting fired about to go up the hill, and as they leave Jericho and they're getting ready to go, we see these blind men call out to them and say, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner." And you've had a sense from the crowd's reaction that they're not really in a place where they want to be interrupted. Oh, we have to stop this caravan and help these. People. You ever got a call like that? And it seems like God always likes to bring us great opportunities at really inopportune times. You know what I'm saying? get a call from your sister. I got a flat tire. Can you help me? Uh, how come your sister always gets a flat tire at like midnight? <laughs> uh, how come no one ever gets a flat tire? Like if God's in control of all things, couldn't God make it so that your sister gets a flat tire when you just happen to be driving by with nothing to do? <laughs> okay? Okay. But God, in His infinite wisdom, decides that your sister always gets a flat tire when you're super busy, right? When you sit down, and you're like, "Okay, you know what? I've been putting off this paper all week long. I got to write this paper. Tonight's the night. I'm gonna get it all done. I got eight hours till school tomorrow, so I'm gonna get this thing done. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna write this paper." And then your phone goes, Whoop. and at that moment, the God of the universe has preordained that your friend has a personal crisis need to deal with. Can you talk right now? My girlfriend just broke up with me. Didn't your girlfriend had broken up with you earlier today? <laughs> like at 4.30 when I was playing Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> playing Pokemon? <laughs> God has this thing where he interrupts us with his will. And when we're in a hurry, and we got something to do, Life is busy, and then God says, by the way, there's a flat tire I need you to attend to. Sometimes it gets a little bit irritating. You call your sister and say, of course I'll help you. I'm a Christian. (laughs) But let me tell you why this is such an inconvenient time. Did you get your tires changed like I told you to last night? (laughs) There's nothing worse than being interrupted. And in the story, God chooses to interrupt this crowd that is getting ready to march up this hill at such an inopportune time. And the crowd just wants to keep moving, but they're traveling with Jesus. And Jesus is not going to keep moving. So he circles back and attends to the needs of these two suffering men. Well, when we read the account of how this played out, Matthew and Mark and Luke all use the same word to describe what the crowds were trying to do to these blind men who were on the side of the road. It says, when they called out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us, we read, the crowd <laughs> rebuked them and told them to be quiet. The crowd rebuked them. This isn't a word that we it actually gets used a lot in the New Testament, but normally the one who's doing the rebuking is Jesus. Right? The disciples get caught up in a big storm, and there's winds and there's waves, and everyone thinks they're going to die, and it says that Jesus stands up. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and it becomes calm. We see a little boy struggling with a seizure disorder or a demonic kind of thing going on, and Jesus comes, and the gospel writers tell us that Jesus rebukes the evil spirit, and takes it out of him. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. And we read that Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan." Jesus is usually the one in charge. And the one in charge is usually the one doing the rebuking, the ceasing, the stopping, the ordering, the commanding. Now, there's only two times in the New Testament, where disciples rebuke. Them. We see little kids trying to get to Jesus, and the disciples rebuke them. And here we see these blind men trying to get to Jesus, and the disciples rebuke them. Both of these times are people who are trying to get to Jesus, and the disciples are saying, Leave Jesus alone, he doesn't want to talk to you, right? Stay away, be quiet, we got a place to be. And they rebuke. you think about it, these these little kids and now these blind men were were just people who had a need to meet with Jesus, and the crowd decided, you know what? We're going to box you out. We're we're not going to let you have access to Jesus. We're going to shut you up. We're going to keep you quiet. These people trying to get access to their Savior, and the disciples take it upon themselves to decide, you know what? You don't get to be served by Jesus today. It's more of a big deal when you realize that that's what happened. I'm sure the disciples didn't realize that they were doing something so grave, they just thought they were trying to keep themselves going on the road to Jerusalem. Now, if it's true that we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, and if it's true that kids aren't going to get school supplies unless we give them to them, and if it's true that your sister's tire is not going to unflatten itself, If it's true that your friend who has a desperate need is not being administered to until God uses your mouth to speak to them, then when we feel like we want to shut these people up, in a sense, we're telling these folks, you know what, the God of the universe wants to help you right now, but he's not coming to you today. You know what, find a different way to get back there. You know, find, find someone else to help you with your tire. You know find find someone else to help you get through your breakup with your girlfriend. I'm busy. In the moment, it just seems like, well, I'm busy. <laughs> but when you start to think that maybe these people are trying to get comfort that only God can give, and God has ordained that you are the one to give it to them, maybe it's a bigger deal than we realize. Matthew doesn't tell us why the crowd decides that these people should not talk to Jesus. You can think, you know maybe, maybe they didn't feel like it was appropriate for blind men to talk to Jesus or something. But but the hard thing is when you look back at Matthew chapter 9, we see the exact same encounter. We we see men who are blind on the side of the road saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, and Jesus stopping the caravan. Tanking to the blind men and giving them healing. And so the disciples who were there had seen this before. They knew that this is what Jesus likes to do. They knew that this is the business of the Messiah, is to bring healing and miracle and sight to the blind. Even blind men who sit by the side of the road and call out specifically, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is what he does. But in this moment, they decide that it's not the right time. And the only reason I can think that these, this crowd would try to shut up these men who were is because the crowd was in a hurry to get someone. They wanted to get them. They wanted to get teachers. They didn't want to take the time to slow down and help someone in desperate It's funny, how much time do you think it would take to help these blind men? And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, oh, this is an ordeal. Jesus is going to go out to get an anesthesiologist and an ocular surgeon and get an exam room going and do some surgery, right? They'd seen Jesus do this before. I thought it would be fun this morning to kind of test out how long it could have taken. I should have prepared this better. Does someone have a stopwatch? Jake, do you have a stopwatch on your watch? All right, there you go. All right. We're going to reenact what this could have been like. I'm going to go in slow motion just to give the crowds the benefit of the doubt, right? So they're, are you ready? On my mark, head side, go. Jesus is walking down the road. He hears in his ear, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he thinks, why are they talking so slow? The crowd says, shh, be quiet. Do you think Jesus heard it? No. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus stops. And he looks at the blind man. Bartimaeus, we know the guy's dad. Hey, come here. Bartimaeus gets up. He's blind, so it takes a little while to navigate over to Jesus. He finds himself in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, what can I do for you? I don't know how long he had to think about it, but he said, (laughs) do on our site. So Jesus says, here it is. And now he sees. And then he gets back in line and says, I'm going to Jerusalem with you guys. And that's it. How long did that take? A minute 13. (laughs) I mean, that's a big detour, right? (laughs) You gotta walk up this little hill, right? And times at one, how are we gonna do this? And now a minute and 13. A minute and 13. Jesus transformed these guys' life in 73 seconds. <coughs> you ever thought about how much good you can do in 73 seconds? You're like coming out of McDonald's and you're thinking, I shouldn't have gone to McDonald's today, but I did, Burgers for your family. And then somebody there, like, hey, you have any change? You're like, oh no, I don't have anything. How long would it take for you to like open up the bag and say, "Hey, you know what? I bought myself a hamburger, but I knew I should have eaten a salad instead." Right? (laughs) Hamburger. Probably wouldn't take a full 73 seconds. You'd probably have to pray for the guy. Your sister calls you. I got a flat tire. No, that's going to take way more than 73 seconds, (laughs) right? Someone texts you and says, "Hey, can you talk? I'm having a hard day." You want to ignore it. pretend you don't see it, I'll text it back tomorrow. Well, what if you get about the next 73 seconds and say, you know what, God? If you're trying to interrupt me because you want me to serve these people, I pray that you give me the courage to stop what I'm doing and come and serve them. Now honestly, there are going to be times this week that you feel inclined to pray for someone and it's not going to take more than 73 seconds. It's just terrifying there can be times that you feel be like, you know what, I should probably tell this person about Jesus, and, and the whole Jesus pitch is probably not going to take more than 73 seconds. But the fear in us that starts building up in those moments is like, well yeah, the first phone call takes 73 seconds. But then what if they want to talk more? And what if I gave this guy a hamburger and he wants to tell me his life story? Right? What if I think up the phone and my sister wants me to come out and fix her flat tire and I just use my AAA again? If right? <laughs> you shut down the first 73 seconds, then you don't have the 20 minutes or two hours or two days of journey notes. <laughs> well, What we see in this passage, though, is that sometimes when we get in a hurry, we just don't have time for what God is trying to do. They did a study at Princeton Seminary in 1973 called the Good Samaritan study. And they wanted to test out how much being in a hurry affects our ability to care for people. And so what they did is they took these students and they put them in a room and said, hey, take this quick survey, and then we're going to send you across campus, and you're going to hear the lecture on the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. Like, oh, yeah, I know that story. Oh, good. OK, so fill the survey. And now you've got to go across campus and hear the lecture. The problem is it starts in five minutes, so you got to hurry. They're like, okay, no problem. So they start to hurry. And on the way to the lecture about the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story started to happen before their eyes, right? On the bridge across campus, there's someone like, oh, please help me, I've been beaten up. Will you please help me, right? And these people are in a hurry, but there's someone who needs care. And, and so most of the people were in a hurry, and they said, you know what? I can't help this person. I gotta go and hear about the Good Samaritan story. <laughs> but if you're not laughing right now, maybe you have with heard the Good Samaritan story. It's pretty ironic, you're and what they did was, they said, well, what would happen if we told them they only had four minutes to go across cross campus? Or three minutes? What if we told them that the lights are already started and now they're late and they're not going to get their money unless they show up there? And what they found was the larger they turned up the dial on hurry, the less likely people were to stop and help. And, and they saw what happens is when we get in a state of life where we're in a hurry, it like shuts down the part of our brain that is willing to step out of our lives and help someone It's a good thing that we're never in a hurry. (laughs) We do live in a pretty hurried world, don't we? Now maybe you don't believe the Good Samaritan study because you know it was a Princeton Seminary and you weren't there. Okay, let's do a study for our own lives. How much nicer are you when you're not in a hurry? Right? Like today, some of you had to get your kids in the car and come to church. How nice are you on Sunday mornings when you're trying to get in the car? Are you more nice when you're on vacation with your kids and you're just relaxing and going on bike rides? Some of you aren't nice at all, sorry. Some of you are nice all the time, wonderful. But for me, for most of us, and you're at work, and you're on your computer working, 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 and then your spouse calls, like, what do you want, right? they don't know. It's like they just created this carbo stand by wanting to talk to the person that they love, right? <laughs> now I'm busy, right? And we just turn into, like, the beast. You've got to come this weekend. It's a great business. <laughs> turn the beast. Right? <laughs> We're hurt. And these men on the side of the road, textbook case where Jesus heals them, transforms their life, just because the crowd had a place to go, just because they wanted to go up the hill, just because they didn't want to stop for 73 seconds. They rebuke the ones in need and tell them, no, Jesus, for you. I talked to somebody last week who said, you know what was a great way to, to navigate these crises that come in when, when you get that text or get that phone call? I kind of use a model that I got from the emergency like response teams, the ambulances and stuff. He said they do like a three by three by three response. And so they come to a situation, and they realize that someone's in desperate need, and they say, okay, in the next three minutes, what does this person need? And over those next three minutes, we're going to assess what we're going to do in the next three hours with this person. And in those next three hours, our primary task is going to figure out what is the healing path over the next three days with this person. And over those three days, we're going to kind of assess where they're at to figure out what do the next three weeks look like in the life of this person. We just take things three at a time. And so the pastor that was telling me about this says, I use this when when I get that phone call. When someone texts me, says, can you talk right now? I just got broken up with, or my spouse just left me. I just found out I have cancer. I had a hard day. I need someone to pray for me. He says, I use the three by three by three mentality. I say, you know what? I'm going to give this person three minutes. And that's more than 73 seconds. We're already raising mistakes for you guys. Three minutes. And in that three-minute phone call, I'm just going to be praying that God would show me how I can care for this person over the next three hours in the next three days, and in the next three weeks. I'm not committing my whole life right now. I'm going to say, you know what? This phone call is probably going to take about three minutes, and I'm going to just listen. I'm going to offer prayer. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to call you back in a couple hours and just check and see how you're doing. And we're in a hurry. We don't do stuff like that. We slow down and relax. We can allow God to start to move. I read a great book this spring. It was called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, who's a pastor of Emma Park across the bay. If you haven't read it, it was in the bookstore this morning. It might still be. If you've got it on Audible if you listen to stuff on your way to work or whatever. But John Ortberg tells a story about how we're so busy in our culture, and so often our busyness starts to eat away at our spirituality. So he went to this guy named Dallas Willard. He's an amazing Christian philosopher and professor at USC and all this before he passed away. And he goes to Dallas Willard and he said, Dallas, you've got to help me. You gotta tell me, what is the key to Christian living? Because my life is so busy, I've got all this stuff going on, and and I want to grow in my relationship with Christ, but it's just not happening right now. Dallas, what do I do? So Dallas Willard just kind of calmly sat there and took it in. And then Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. No, and was like, that's good, okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> What's the second thing? And Willard says, there is no second thing. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your <clears throat> As the Dallas Willard understood, is that when we're in place, we just going and going and going. And part of our brain shuts off, or we just start keeping people out that God is trying to bring in. Now, luckily, these crowds were with Jesus. (laughs) Jesus isn't going to walk past these needy needy men, just going to turn a blind eye and say, oh, pretend I didn't see him. Jesus is going to circle back and tend to their needs and transform their lives. Can you imagine what your life would look like this week? You started to slow down and say, Give me opportunities to be your hands and your feet and your mouth and your caring touch and your loving hug and and your financial assistance and your serving posture to this world. Some of us can't do that because we're so busy. That center has been shut off in our legs. Some of us are now thinking, I think I need to go on vacation. Sit by a pool somewhere, drink some lemonade, relax. A few years ago, my wife and I got a chance to go down to Mexico and do just that, leave the children at home. We missed them so much. Go to Mexico, (laughs) sit by the pool, and drink the lemonade, and relax. I read a book, a real book. Uh, It was great. And the hurry just disappeared. And I remember like two days into the vacation realizing that I had no idea what time it was. And, and like normally like if if you ask me right now, hey Danny, what time is it? I'd probably say, uh, I think it's 1213. 12, 1207. 12 okay, yeah, a little bit off, right? But ah. it's like to the minute I know what time it is, right? I'm in Mexico, Danny, what time it is? I'm like, I think we ate lunch last I don't remember, right? I was so relaxed. It's like hurry was gone and it was But as I think about this passage this week, I, I realize I was no better a person in Mexico than I am here. Like when I was in Mexico, I wasn't hurried at all. And I had opportunities, right? We would sit at dinner, and there'd be other couples at other tables, we'd meet the, folks on the beach or the pool, or whatever. And, and I knew that that would be a great time to get to know folks, share my faith with them a little bit, hear their story, right? But, but I didn't do any of that. I was like, this is my vacation, right? Like, no one talked to me. I'm going to read my book, right? I wasn't hurried, but I was also still kind of a jerk. Right? There were homeless folks in Mexico. I don't remember giving them a hamburger. Right? There were people in need on the streets when we went down in Puerto Vallarta. I, I don't remember ever talking to someone and saying, hey, can I, how can I help you today? I'm here to serve you today. I didn't serve anybody. I just served myself. So I, I think if we're in a place where we think, you know what, if I could just slow down, I'll be amazing i don't think we will <laughs> but jesus was not amazing because he was so unhurried only but jesus had something in him that several all probably all of us don't have or when we do have we, we squash it and put it away and jesus had something called compassion and matthew picks up on this and says that when jesus started talking to this man and they said we want our sight Matthew says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. He had compassion. The Greek word for compassion is this really cool world where it's like spalagma. Uh, it means like deep in Jesus' recesses of his gut, he felt for these people. I think a lot of times when we're hurried, we kind of turn off the splat and We turn off the compassion. And sometimes we just turn off the compassion because compassion gets us into trouble. Right? If you start caring about people, you're going to have to do stuff for people. If you start doing stuff for people, they're going to want your funny, right? So we turn off the compassion. I was thinking about this this week. I was at Lake Chabot working on my sermon. If you ever see me at Lake Chabot talking to myself? That's how I prepare sermons, right? And so I'm walking down on the back side of the lake, and, and right when I get to this point of the sermon, where I'm saying, you know what? Sometimes I feel like when compassion arises, we just put it out. Like we put a fire hose on it or something. I saw this couple in front of me at the same time standing on the path. And I saw that they were tending to something. Okay, what's going on? And and look, it was this older man and woman, and they're down (laughs) in the dirt with a stick, and they're they're trying to help a dragonfly that had broken its wing get off to like the side of the road where it was sick. (laughs) And I'm talking, and I'm preaching to the trees about compassion. (laughs) And I had this moment. uh, like you did, right? Oh. And immediately, there was something <coughs> in me that was like, that's stupid. <laughs> you care about a dragonfly? But like, what do you think? They're going to take it off the side of the road and then some squirrel's going to come and put like bandage on its wing and take it off the It's going to get eaten today. <laughs> I'm just kind of talking to myself, like stop feeling for that dragonfly. Stop being such a sissy, right? Go and teach your sermon about compassion, right? Some of you are so good at helping dragonflies. (laughs) You helped the squirrel, you got hit by all that, right? Some of you are like, come on, man. is Jesus really saying we have to help dragonflies? (laughs) No. Not necessarily this it, <laughs> but, but I think that the thing that happened to me there, it's the same thing that happens when the guy's asking for a hamburger. And it's the same thing that happens when I get the text and someone says, can you talk right now? It's the same thing that happens when I get that phone call or when you run into that person and they say, oh, I've had the hardest week. You start to be like, "Oh, They're like, no. <laughs> Don't help them. <laughs> You've got a lot to do right now. God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) If you're new, that's not in the Bible. Someone might us that in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. What the Bible says is that God wants to help people in this world. And the way that God helps people in this world is he sends his people to come and attend to them. So if God wants to help a dragonfly, he's going to send some nice folks to take this out of the way, Right? God has put you in your sister's life so she has someone to call when her tire goes flat. The reason that you're walking out of McDonald's with a hamburger in your hand in the same moment that a man is hungry is because God has sent you to that McDonald's. They right? how did I get to McDonald's? God sent you to McDonald's <laughs> because God saw someone hungry and said, I'll send one of my people. Surely they will feed them. I uh, went more busy. When we squash the compassion, we do what the disciples, what the crowds did. We'll rebuke it and say, no, that's my burger. (laughs) No, I know you want to feed that person, but come on. If it was Jesus, I would help them. You know what passage we're going to go to next, right? When Jesus said, someday I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and I'm going to bring the sheep to me and say, thank you for feeding me when I was hungry. And they're going to say, when did we feed you You when you were hungry? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anything you did for the least of these, you did for me. I was the guy sitting on the side of the house. I was your sister on the side of the way. I was that person who texted and said, can you talk right now? If you view these divine interruptions as if it was Jesus himself saying, Hey, hey, mind, I have a need in this world I'd like to attend to through you, we'll probably be less likely to rebuke it. I saw a great blog this weekend by a young woman named Casey, who's part of our SOMA Young Adults Ministry of the Church. They went up to a, a retreat, for the young adults ministry and all these people were pretty new to the ministry and they didn't really know a lot of people and so if you've ever been to a place where you're going out, out of town for a weekend with a bunch of strangers it's scary and right, so casey was talking about how she got there and, and didn't really know what god was going to do or why he had sent her there but over the course of the weekend as they started to abide together as community and hear each other's stories and slow down the pace of life and figure out how to serve one another it's like god just did something beautiful as they all just slowed down and chose to show up with one another. And she said, I, I just walk away from that retreat feeling like if I could slow down and show up more, God will continue to work through me in this world. Slow down and show up. <laughs> the disciples said, hey, shut up. We need to hurry. Get up the road. Jesus said, slow down. Just show up if you want to read her blog, it's on our Facebook right now. You can click through that. Man, it's so encouraging to see when people start to get it. So down the pace of their lives. So I say, you know what? I'm going to trust that the compassion I feel is a good thing. for from the Lord. And I'm going to fan things. But this week, as we prepare to move on from here and away from this talk, what are some things that you might be able to do to slow yourself down? Right, maybe you're someone who's a very scheduled person. Maybe you need to schedule some times. Slow down, like put some speed bumps in your calendar. Right, you're jumping from client meeting to client meeting, and by the end of the day, you're like, oh, my goodness, my brain's spinning, right? Just for your own sanity, you need to schedule some time. Say, you know what? I, at 11.55, I'm going to get to the client site. I'm going to sit in my car for five minutes, <laughs> I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to say, God, can you just show me how I can serve this client site? And if there are needs around me, God, give me eyes to see them. And if this person has needs, I can fulfill with the business or fulfill with spiritual, whatever. God, show me how I can best serve this person. Not only is it going to give you a less hurried life, but you're going to be better at your job. You're going to be serving people along the way. And you're going to realize that in the workplace, you are a messenger from God to bring good and hope and do good to people and serve everyone in every context. And some of you don't have a calendar because your whole life is reactionary. And maybe you stay home with your kids and there's always people screaming at you. And maybe you work somewhere, there's always people screaming at you. And you don't get the privilege of being in charge of your calendar. You can't schedule five minutes where no one screams. At you. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, honestly, if I could just have 30 minutes of my day where I could just hide in the bathroom and no one's throwing up anywhere. No one's making any messes. No one's yelling, mommy, mommy, or daddy, daddy at me. I would be a happy camper. Sometimes we feel guilty taking time for ourselves. But you know what? God wants you to be an unhurried person. So that you can serve your kids. You can serve the clients. There is no shame. Some of us have family who would love to come to your house for 30 minutes and let you go to like Ross alone. Take advantage Have you ever tried to run an errand without kids? It's beautiful. (laughs) You know, if you call your mom, or you call your sister, you call whoever and say, would you be willing to come over on Tuesdays for an hour so I can go to Trader Joe's? They would say, I'd love to. Do you feel guilty? Because that's supposed to be your job. And so we can afford to hire a college kid to come over a couple days a week and just hang out so you can go on a walk and spend some time with the Lord. That's fine Do that. God put a lack of hurry into the Ten Commandments. You know what I'm saying? He says, let me give you a, a speed bump on your day that's on your week that's one-seventh of your week. It's called the Sabbath. And when you get to that day, right, you're going to be running into the Sabbath day. You're like, oh, I'm not allowed to work today. And you realize when you stop panting that you were running too fast. And all of a sudden, this day opens up where you can really hear from him. And recalibrate your life. Say, God, give me compassion this week so I can serve those. And Jesus was beautiful. To them. He knew how to live without hurry. He knew how to trust the Lord. He knew how to have compassion. And we are not like <clears throat> Jesus. And yet He says, I, I come. I want to bring you life, abundant life, a life where I can work through you as you slow down and let your heart hurt for needs, and then step into Him. There's a lot of things even today you can do to, to help someone in need. We've got the backpack drive out there. You can go buy some Beauty and the bees tickets and invite some family or friends to that. We've got a uh, child evangelism training going on. We can go find out about that in the lobby. You can go to the Women's Center and say, hey, I want to jump into this prayer initiative on Saturday. There are so many things you can do when your heart of compassion is allowed to flourish. You say, you know what, I'm going to devote my time to serving those things, to helping those people, to praying for those folks. you've got to slow down and let your compassion guide you and then go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Today, as we close this time, we'll have an opportunity to receive the communion meal. And one of my favorite things about communion is it is a time where we can slow down. We hold this bread and we hold this cup and we can just stop. The music will be playing. but Just sit there. God, help me to turn with what you have. God, help me to remember that i run so fast in my life and I need to abide at the foot of the cross. Jesus went to that city and he was crowned king on Palm Sunday, but he was dead by good Friday because we turned against him. And he rose to new life to give life to all who believe. Now let me sit in that truth with every fiber of my being. And so as the ashrams come forward, let me start this time of sitting. And as the music plays and you begin to sing, ask God to teach you how to abide in his presence even as life takes up again. Come and pray for us.